Welcome everyone, welcome once more to This Week in Mormons. I'm your intrepid host, Jeff, hoping desperately that you get to hear my voice. And if you are, that means I have ceased to have technological problems and everything is wonderful. So it's great to be here. I'm, I'm so, I'm so uh, skeptical that this is going to work out. Like, I'm it's going to work, Jeff. About, I'm even thinking about the words I'm saying right now, wondering if they're even worth the effort because I'm so afraid that none of this will matter in the end because it has been a terrible couple of weeks on the technological front. And I don't know why. And I've consulted noted audio producers and everyone is flummoxed. Anyway, that wonderful voice you heard is none other than the progenitor of your mark on the world and a wonderful guy all around, Devin Thorpe. Jeff, thank you so much. It's great to be with you again to talk about this week in Mormons. That's right. That's right. So uh, for those of you who have not met, Devin, this is probably what, your third, fourth time doing this? I'm not quite sure. Uh, yeah, third or fourth. I think it's the third, but uh, I have so much fun, it feels like the fourth. Oh, stop it, you. Uh, come on. How dare you? So uh, I always like to give you a chance to explain <laughs> explain yourself, Devin. <laughs> yeah. what, is your, what is your relevance and what do you do? Tell, your, tell, tell the listeners about yourself. So I, uh, I've got a, another show I do. That's uh, not just for Mormons. Uh, Mormons are allowed to listen. Uh, it's a show called uh, Your Mark on the World. Uh, I share some of the episodes on Forbes where I'm a regular contributor. Uh-huh. I also uh, am a speaker, travel around the world doing a little bit of that. And I uh, also operate an online school to help people learn more about how to change the world, make it a better place. Uh, overall, my whole, my whole essence is... Uh, is trying to make the world a better place. I call myself you, I, I call myself a champion of social good, I which like I, I like to point out is a lot easier than actually being someone who does good. I just talk about the people who do good. <laughs> I mean that makes sense. It's like the you know, the person who preaches ministering slash home teaching doesn't mean you do it yourself, but as long as you can rally the troops. That's, that's right. All that that's right. Right, right. Exactly right. Um I am curious one thing. How do you measure success based on what you're doing? I live in a world of analytics. I work for yeah. an analytical group uh, for a government agency. And I, I think about analytics a lot and the ways to measure things uh, outside of qualitative elements. So something like what you do seems very qualitative by nature. So how do you measure success? Yeah, I, what you're doing? I, I'm still working. In, I've been at this eight years and I've been thinking about how to measure my impact and my success on a regular basis for eight years. And uh, I haven't thought about it enough. I haven't implemented enough. But in the end, what I find myself gravitating towards are the key Mm -hmm. outcomes I'm interested in. So I'm measuring things like, you know, the number of polio cases every year, uh, the number of malaria cases every year. And, you know, since I've been doing that, my show, we've reduced the number of the world, we, I didn't do much about it except write about it occasionally, but we've reduced the number of malaria cases by about 100,000 from half a million a year to 400,000 a year. I, I say cases. I mean deaths. There yeah, are yeah, there yeah. are hundreds of millions of cases uh, of malaria every year uh, that kills about 400,000 people, mostly children. Uh, there have been, in the last year, there were 32 cases of polio. Uh, down from about 300 when I started this work. So okay. there's been a 90% reduction in the cases of polio. So anyway, th- those are the kinds of things I find myself gravitating toward to figure out if if we're on the right track. I like it. I like it. And speaking of malaria is one an interesting one that you brought up. You did recently get to interview Bill Gates and the Gates Foundation does a lot of work on malaria. Um, yeah. I haven't, ha- that seems like a pretty awesome red letter day in your career, I assume. It, it so how, how, how did that come about? And what was it like interviewing Bill Gates? Well, it was, it was really cool. Uh, you know, one of the coolest things was that the Gates Foundation reached out to me and asked me if I would do it. Uh, that is awesome. Okay. Wow. You know, You've arrived. Yeah. That's, that's um, it. I, I think so. But, but the reason is that I've been writing about polio eradication, which is his number one deal. 
for about seven or eight years. And uh, finally, someone at the Gates Foundation said, oh, you know, we ought to have him interview Bill and uh, Rotary International President Barry Rassen because mm-hmm. they're going to be together. Right. This right, one right. and only time. Um, maybe Devin would come up and interview him. And so uh, they reached out and I eagerly made arrangements to visit Spokane, Washington, where I went to high yeah. school, oh, good. do the show, and uh, it was great. It was really a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I'll, <clears throat> let me give you a little bit of a behind the scenes quickly, because you can go listen to the episode, and I hope you will. But, you know, the behind the scenes, while we're getting the audio check ready, we got talking about the fact that Rotary would be having the its big international convention in Hawaii next year. And for mm. a, you know, normal people... Okay that becomes kind of an excuse to go to Hawaii. Uh, sure. Right. And so I said something that implied that would apply to Bill Gates. And then I said to Bill, well, I guess, you know, in your situation, you can just go to Hawaii anytime you want. You really don't need an excuse. And he said, yeah, the last time I was there a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago was uh, for a bridge tournament. Uh, he said, "Warren." I mean, of course, of course, that's of the course, reason one yeah. goes to so, Hawaii. So says, yeah. yeah, Warren. Definitely. Warren got me playing bridge. Uh, so apparently, Bill Gates is a competitive, you know, bridge player uh, and travels awesome. around to go to bridge tournaments. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I would never in a million years have guessed that, and I heard it right from his own mouth. So anyway, that was int- everyone's got a thing. I actually, it's funny. I forgot about those Rotary uh, conventions. I was in Hamburg, Germany, when they had one. A couple of years ago, it just oh. happened. I was there for a weekend. It happened to coincide. Now it's just oh, a funny cool. memory. I was just there in Hamburg uh, two weeks ago for the big Rotary, mm-hmm. the international convention in Hamburg. Okay, that, okay, so that, that's why you went then. Yeah. Okay, so it was probably now that I think about it, around this that same time. Do they do it there every year? No. Um, okay. If you were there recently, it was probably some sort of regional or no, no. Conference. I, no, I was there like six years ago, but it was around, it was June about mm-hmm. six years ago and there yeah. was a rotary. It was an international conference. So I guess they must rotate it. So go yeah. figure. You went You went for the same thing that I observed yeah. when I happened upon there because I, I was in Denmark for work for a couple of weeks. And so we just popped down to Hamburg for the weekend because it was the closest place to go. So yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. And we did the opposite. We We went to... Copenhagen after the conference because it was a nearby place to go. Copenhagen is a great town. It is. I it love is Copenhagen. A, and Hamburg's lovely too. Hamburg is kind of an unsung gem. I really enjoyed going there. Yeah. And you don't hear much about it, at least from the American set. Uh, I think a lot of Europeans and others go there, but um, you don't hear much about it in North America. Yeah, one of the cool things about Copenhagen, and I think Many of our listeners will already know this, but of course, the Christus, the Christus statue yeah. that is in the uh, Salt Lake Visitor Center and now has yep. been replicated yep. in several others is actually a copy, and I think some people don't appreciate this, a copy of uh, a statue that is in Copenhagen, its original yep. one. So Gail and I visited that statue and checked it out. It was really Yeah, it's over cool. in Our Lady. Um I've been I've been there too, and that's a beautiful. I love that church, and what I want we've talked about this before. Uh, back in the spring, when the Rome Temple was getting dedicated, because the Rome Temple has a visitor center with the Christus, but they also took the extra step of replicating those statues of the twelve apostles that they have inside mm-hmm. the church in Copenhagen. That's right, and and putting them all around. Which and I think that's the first time we've replicated the twelve. Yeah, in that vein, I think so. Um, sure, you're right. Yeah, it's a beautiful church. It's really cool. Well, yeah. good deal, man. Parties all around. Otherwise, good times happening in Utah. Everything. Did you do? Did you have a great weekend? Yeah, Was it amazing. We've had spectacular weather. I guess the people, oh. the boaters, probably haven't appreciated it, but it's been in the seventies, sixties, and seventies the last three or four days. So it's just been beautiful spring-like weather. Look at us. We're already on small talk about the weather. We've we've gotten to that level. That's what the people come here for. Yeah, that's what they came here for is the weather update for three days ago in Salt Lake. The weather here in, in the Washington, D.C. region has been very hot and muggy, but I, I avoided it, but I did take my four-year-old to his first movie in a movie theater, which we saw Toy Story 4. And that, so that was a lot of fun. As a dad, I kind of looked forward to that. I love going to the movies, and I look forward to that. So that was a... 
a fun yeah. experience to see my little dude in this room where he's never seen a screen that big wow. or anything and just figuring out. So that was cool. Yeah, that is cool. That I, was, Gail and I saw it. We're a little disappointed, actually. Uh, you were disappointed with Toy Story 4? Yeah. yeah. Gail and should I- we, Okay. Okay. Should we, we love issue- Toy Story a, 3. I love Toy Story 3 as well. Let's issue a, um, a spoiler alert right now, and you and I can talk in depth about- Because Toy Story 4 is very new, so I understand if people haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, you're warned right now. We will limit this conversation to like three minutes. So come back if you haven't seen Toy Story 4. <laughs> Devin, what did you dislike about Toy Story? Or were you disappointed? It wasn't about? that it was bad. It just wasn't up to the emotional connection, the you know, emotional power of Toy Story 3. I remember I walked, I out, of, I walked I out of Toy Story 3 and I could not speak. Gail and I walked out of that movie and for... 30 minutes. I kid you not, for 30 minutes, I was too emotional to speak. Every time I would try to open my mouth, I would be overcome by emotion. It was it was overwhelming. Now, part of that was contextual. Uh, if you remember Toy Story 3, uh, it was about this kid going off to college. Well, my son had just gone off to college. And okay. so I was yeah, yeah. A, a basket case. I, I was just a basket case. <laughs> and... Um, so Toy Story Four didn't have did not have any of that resonance. It was a really cute I, movie. I, I it was more cute. I thought it was lower stakes, even though the end is kind of higher stakes. So please, everyone, once again, if you're still listening, major spoiler ahead right now that I'm going to drop when Woody elects to part ways with his friends um, that he's been with for you know essentially his whole toy life. That yeah, that was a big deal. But I agree, I did not feel the weight of it like I yeah. thought I should when yeah. watching it. Uh, I mean, I got a little choked up, and even I was, I was I was telling my wife about it. She didn't care about the spoilers. Uh, after the fact, I got I got a little choked up telling her about it because it was like you know it was tough choices, but yeah. definitely not the emotional devastation of Toy Story three. I'm with right. you. We watched that with the kid like the week before on the telly, and yeah, yeah you're just sitting. The first, it's all intense when you think they're going to get incinerated, and then. When uh, just the whole sequence with Andy giving up his toys and talking about it, yeah, I, I was yeah. weepy too. That's yeah. that's what Pixar does best. Toy Story three felt a bit lighter in a way. Um, oh, not Toy Story. Sorry, Toy Story four. Yeah, uh, the villain was never like a full villain. You know, Gabby, Gabby. It's like she was, and then out of nowhere, they're kind of like, it's all right, everything's okay. Yeah, she's she's all right. Yeah, yeah. So there were so no real strange. bad guys in this movie. Maybe that was part of it. But I thought what was missing was the real romantic connection which was necessary and missing between Bo and um Woody right to, to make that decision to to leave his friends he needed to have a stronger connection with Bo than I believed he had I and so it didn't feel like he made the right decision based on what I felt he felt this is very deep it, stuff right i mean it, it, <clears throat> i'm thinking it is, about it also, what a cartoon character felt um, <clears throat> well, that is that is the sign of good storytelling, though the fact that it can get you thinking about yes, that yes. compared compared to some you know like some Minions movie or something like that. Um, I also worry that it rendered some of the power of Toy Story three a little bit moot in yeah. the sense that there's this whole catharsis of them getting a getting Bonnie and a new life, and then Toy Story four basically picks up what I assume is like a few months after Toy Story three, right? When they, because Bonnie's the same age as then, and you know, yeah, the kid they don't get so everything was great. It goes on this high note of look, we can serve, we can have our purpose, we can have another kid, we can get passed on and experience that joy. And then a couple of months later, it's already like, well, Woody's bummed out and feeling aimless and lost. And this movie's really about Woody trying to find himself, which was fine, but I just don't feel like it was earned. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. But I did enjoy it either way. All right, end of spoilers for Toy Story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not that anybody knows. But if you're listening now, we won't mention it ever again, and we can pivot to the exciting world of Latter-day Saint-focused news, everyone. And there's been much. Uh, Of course, the sisters came in last week, and I want to thank them again for pinch hitting. They were not scheduled to record last week, but because of the issues, I was like, can you guys do something? Because I don't want to have a a, a feed with no content for all this time. can you make it happen? And they stu- and they stepped up and they did, and they did a great job. So that was awesome. Um, so there's plenty to talk about. I am going to lead off with something that barely matters, but I'm doing it anyway. 
And this is what's going to happen. Some time ago, you might remember that uh, President Nelson held an event in Orlando, uh, just a big gathering of saints. You know, they do kind of like a regional conference, even though they don't do those anymore. And, uh, you know, he spoke, he said a lot of what you would expect, uplifting good things. He met with the the Pulse nightclub owner. The sisters talked about that last week. But one thing I want to take the the church newsroom to task for um, in his remarks, which were at the Amway Center, I might mind you, I think there's no better place for Latter-day Saints to be gathering than <laughs> somewhere named for Amway. Yeah, I don't know whether we call that apropos or ironic, but yes. The, the other funny thing, a bit of a side note, is that you have, when you think about this, um, a couple weeks ago now, it's been about two weeks, President Nelson's there preaching the word of God and unity and love to Latter-day Saints. And then a week later, Trump has his kickoff rally there. I think, I mean, it's just a venue, but I think that's kind of funny in a way for some mm-hmm. reason. It just shows anything can happen. So the press, the, the release from the church says that President Nelson addresses saints in the happiest place on earth, which is obviously a reference to Disney properties. As we would know, Orlando is a big tourism city. That's a thing they do there. Um, and in his remarks, he talked about, you know, people come here to make great memories, but the true memories and joy come from living the commandments and things like that. So I only want to to get on the newsroom's case for this because the happiest place on earth is Disneyland in California. That phrase is not used to describe the Florida resort. It doesn't exist there, folks. And I say this as someone who likes Disney parks and who grew up going to Disneyland. The happiest place on earth is Disneyland. The Magic Kingdom, the Disneyland counterpart in Florida, is called the most magical place on earth. Oh my so gosh. I believe, all forgetting all of the important things President Nelson might have preached and encouraged <laughs> people to do, I think it's important that the newsroom be taken down a peg for not understanding the cultural ramifications oh of pretending that the yeah. happiest place on earth is Orlando. And besides, everyone knows that Orlando, Florida is literally not the happiest place on earth. I mean, it's Orlando, Florida. It's. <laughs> Have you been to Orlando, Devin? Oh, yes. I've been to Orlando. And it's a spectacular yeah. place. Uh, maybe a little less pleasant on June 9th than uh, other times of the year. Maybe. Now, you're a very positive, nice person, so I, I know you're not going to trash Orlando, but I will gladly trash most of Florida, frankly. But uh, anyway, come on, yeah. newsroom. Consult people before you do your thing. That's all. All right. Devin, you can talk about some stuff. No, I'm done. <laughs> the uh, there There has been a lot going on. One of the most interesting things that caught my eye in the news in the last week was uh, that uh, the LA Times ran a story about how uh, young Hispanic girls are doing their quinceañeras uh, at the Oakland Temple. Not not LDS, not Mormon, not members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints Hispanics, but mostly Catholic Hispanics are cruising up to the Oakland Temple to get their, to do their quinceanera photos, because it is just such a spectacularly beautiful place. It's become kind of the place to uh, get your uh, quinceanera photos. I thought that was really, really interesting. And of course, the church, uh, you know, the church spokesman who commented for the story said they love it. You know, they love having the girls come up there and take their photos and then it gets spread all over social and then more come. So yeah, it's, um, and I've seen that I've seen this in person. I was at the Oakland Temple. I don't even know. I mean, I've been there, you know, a handful of times in my life. In mm-hmm. general, one of my cousins got married there, though, uh, many years ago. And I recall while we were on the ground, specifically waiting for them to come out following their ceiling, um, how kids were just there taking these pictures. And I knew I knew nothing about it at that point in my life that it was a thing. Right, because I'd never seen this in L.A. L.A.'s got a big, got big temple grounds, and I've I've heard it might happen sometimes, but I have never seen much in the way of quinceanera folks walking onto the substantial temple grounds in L.A. Yeah, it's uh, just not the more same compact feel there. The, the view in at, in L.A. beautiful temple, but it's not a beautiful venue in nearly the same way. I don't. No, no, I agree. It's completely not because <clears throat> Oakland's got that great esplanade kind of that leads up to it with the fountains, and mm-hmm. it's it's. It's very, and of course you're up on the hill and you can see the bay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the LA Temple is a, on a prominent setting, but instead it's wider 
and you just have a lawn right in front of it, the Santa Monica Boulevard and like literally across the streets, like a 7-Eleven or something yeah, like that. Yeah. So it's not as exciting, but I love that this is a thing in the Bay Area. And I love that it's enough of a thing that it gets picked up by, by a national news outlet yeah. to talk about how it matters, which is great. Like I, I didn't know if it was an anomaly when I saw it 12, 13 years ago for the yeah, first time. Yeah, it's wild. But it's, it's a part of their cultural fabric over there in the Oakland area, yeah. which is kind of cool. It is cool. It's called yeah. Spectacular Temple. Devin, have you been following the Mormon LDS millionaire thing going on? I, I have uh, a little bit. I haven't been following it like some of the women in the single women in the church, but I have been following it. And uh, part of the reason is that uh, a friend of mine, uh, Rob Ferrey, is the millionaire. No, Rob Ferrey was the uh, master of ceremonies at the event. Is that the one who looks a lot like Gary Herbert? No, 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 no. He's the young, good-looking guy. that He's in the video that you sent me to look at. Oh, I see. Yes, yes. Oh, the one right here with the short hair? Yeah, oh, yeah. He's gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. Look at him. Yeah, good. very handsome young guy. He's a uh, uh, terrific MC. I know him. Uh, what's, and the, and, what's his – What's his, okay, so you – So I hit him okay. up. I said, give us the in, – what, what's the inside scoop? And he said, I signed an what? NDA. I can't tell you anything. <laughs> What's his? Is, does he have any relationship with the LDS matchmaker, or was he just hired to MC the event? Yeah, I think he was just hired to MC the event. I don't get the impression that he um, has any connection. Uh, of course, he knows the identity of the mystery man that has not been released. He, uh, uh, you know, was, was there for it, and uh, he knew, he felt like it was all in good fun. Uh, so, you know, there we go. Uh, okay, so. It's cool that you know somebody. I know they have NDAs. Um, the sisters talked a lot about this last week, and I, I want them to have it, and that's fine. Uh, it is funny, though, because their stories continue to come out about this. KSL ran a story this week because two women shared their experience at the event. And, of course, they didn't violate their NDAs either, mm-hmm. but they went more in-depth about what is, quite frankly, ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of charity for this entire enterprise, to yeah, be perfectly yeah. frank. Um, I think it's, I mean, I know people thought it was good fun. I think it's just, it's, I don't know. It's like the worst of Mormonism distilled into one room. Well, all happening at the same yeah, time. Yeah. I, I, it certainly isn't unique to Mormonism because it's obviously a copy of, well, of a, a broader societal thing, but, but it does certainly hint at objectifying women, which I certainly can't mm-hmm. get too excited about, uh, uh, and and the implication that twenty five hundred women applied for the, ultimately the chance that, to go on a that, date that makes me sad. It does. It makes, that makes me, me sad. sad. Yeah. It makes me sad that that knowing only two things about this guy: one, he's Mormon, and two, he's rich. Those, and that's, that's all that matters. All that matters. Twenty five hundred women wanted to meet him. I believe it was. I don't know if it was KSL or I think it was like Fox thirteen. One of the news outlets, like did their sleuthing and found out like for sure who he is. Mm -hmm. Uh, But so far they've refused to publish the name, but apparently they know they haven't been able to keep it a secret. So maybe someday we'll find out who this alleged millionaire is, which to be clear, look, let's say the guy doesn't live in Utah. Let's say he lives in California. I've heard some reports. He might be from San Diego. San Diego ain't cheap. Ladies and gentlemen, if it were, I'd move back there because (laughs) I'm come on. It's paradise. So it's a very nice place. If you own a home in San Diego, have a decent amount in savings, your 401k, et cetera, et cetera, right? It's not a stretch to make your net worth over $1 million. Just from owning a house around in more expensive markets, it's going to be seven or 800 grand just for the house. Easy. Um, so in saying that, I caution people to, to be careful when you hear that someone is a millionaire while it's still impressive, while mm-hmm. I am not a millionaire, while I think it's great to have your assets and work hard and earn what you have, and that's fine, being a millionaire is not actually the economic milestone you might think it is. That's all I'm trying to say. I don't know if this guy is a the LDS multimillionaire or if he's literally just has a net worth of you know $1.05 million right. and 80% of that is wrapped up in his house, and, <laughs> and that might be it. We have no idea. Or, he, or he, he, he could be just flat out lying. I mean, it's not like it could be that- if we don't even know his name, the, the, we certainly don't know what his real net worth is. So it, it is um, it is an interesting commentary on our culture 
uh, on American culture more than LDS culture, frankly, I think. I believe he needs to release the returns. Release <laughs> your tax, tax returns. returns. <laughs> LDS millionaire, put put it all to rest. You can redact your name. Just publish the returns. Publish the returns. Show us if Russia is controlling you. Let's get to the bottom of this. What do you have to hide? My goodness. Anyway, I think the whole enterprise is just sad. And yet I also, I get sucked in every time this company has done things like this. And I have been ever since the old Mormon Bachelorette, which I appeared on uh, nine years ago. Oh, wow. Oh, yes. If you haven't seen that, Devin. I apologize, oh, Jeff. I don't know how I missed that. How did I miss no, your no, no. You shouldn't, you shouldn't, the Bachelorette? You shouldn't apologize. Unfortunately, when I'm Googled, I believe the videos. No, I think I finally pushed them out. Oh, that's good. Now when you Google my name... Uh-oh, this can't be good. So Openshaw is a name that drives from Manchester, right? Mm-hmm. Uh-oh, this is bad. This is bad, Devin. Sorry. So I, I just Googled myself right now for funsies. Usually it's all me, but something just showed up a story in Lancashire in the Telegraph. There's a man named Jeffrey Openshaw who is alleged to have committed 20 sexual offenses over three decades. Oh, great. In England. Congratulations. So great. Now someone does share my name yeah. and he's ruining my life there. Anyway, my point was you can find the video of me if you search around yeah. uh, consorting with the Mormon bachelorette. That is Excellent. Awesome. I deliberately phoned it in, so don't think ill of it. <laughs> okay. Well, it's interesting. This week, we mark the end of the Manti pageant, which has been playing for- This is it, huh? Like wow. 50 years. 50 odd yeah, years. Yeah, 50, 52 years. Uh, you've probably seen it before. I've been a few times. Uh, interesting thing. I, I'm not sure I quite understand why the church is going away from pageants altogether. Uh, the Tribune did a great story about the Manti pageant, uh, and they profiled five very touching little uh, anecdotes of you know, basically, you know, miracles that people re- re- recorded having experienced down there. You know, the, the the rain stopped, the lights worked without electricity, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it was kind of a touching set oh, of uh, recollections from the Salt Lake Tribune on the, on the Manti pageant. But my favorite pageant is actually, I think, the one they called The Man Who Knew up in uh, – in the Logan area, up in Cache Valley. I don't even know they do stuff up and, there. And no that idea. one, it was much smaller uh, in scale, um, but it was about uh, Martin Harris. And of course, the other, most of the other witnesses to the plates fell away or died and were gone by the time you know Utah matured as a state. But when Utah got statehood, I think Martin Harris was still alive and living in Cache Valley. So here it was 50 years after all of these founding stories. And here's sort of all alone, kind of the this founding father of the church still there and going to church. But because well, he had fallen away for a time, he wasn't in Salt Lake in the leadership. He was just living his yeah, life up yeah. in it was really fascinating. I only saw that one once, but it was a fascinating. Oh, part. yeah, I see it. So, yeah, he was in Cash Valley. So I'm looking up Martin Harris real quick. He died in Clarkston, Utah, which appears to be kind of like the northwestern edge of yeah, Cash yeah. Valley is what I – in Cash County. Uh, he did not live till statehood, oh. though, I think that. Statehood didn't happen until the 1890s, yeah, yeah. right? Uh, he died in 1875. Oh, okay. So it wasn't as late but, as I thought. Um, I apologize. You know, it's not no, the first I, time I've lied. I, th- I think – I don't think the listeners are going to take you to task for it. You're going to be okay. Um. That's pretty cool. I've never been to any of the pageants. I was actually talking with my family whether we wanted to try to go to Hill Camorra. Hill Camorra gets one more season next oh, year. That's yeah. it. Um, I don't know. I want to see the spectacle of it, I guess. The pageants are perplexing to me. I, I see all sides of it. I agree with you. I don't know why we'd want to stop them. I've heard a lot of that. I've heard attendance is down. Yeah. Like they're primarily supposed to be missionary tools, and it's overwhelmingly just members yeah, who go yeah. and enjoy it, and that's it. So if it's not serving its purpose, then like any program, you just you stop it. But yeah, it's hard when tradition goes away. Yeah. The other funny thing is uh, two years ago, the church, you probably remember this as a Salt Lake resident. So do you remember when the church bought that stretch of 
is that Main Street? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. to form the rest of the plaza. Oh, yeah. And that was a big deal oh, because yeah. it was the city selling a public street to a private entity and it was it caused a lot of uproar. Oh my gosh, yes, for years. Uh, years. Yeah. So that was back in nineteen ninety nine. So two years ago the church did the same thing, but in Manti, where there's you got the temple lot plot, and then the church has some other facilities around mm-hmm. it. You know, Manti's more rural of a community, mm-hmm. as you might imagine. But they bought the street that's to the west side of the pageant grounds. Uh Basically, I think specifically so that protesters could not wedge themselves between the pageant and the distribution and family history centers. Oh, right, right. But yeah. anyway, it, it actually caused some drama even in uh, even Manti. Manti. About yeah. The church doing yeah, it's that, interesting. Yeah, the church, is, before they did it in Salt Lake and before they did it in um, – well, I shouldn't say that. I, I'm, I'm giving dates like I know them. But they've also done the same thing in both um, Palmyra and uh, Kirtland. What did they buy they, in Palmyra? Bought, I mean, Palmyra. Uh, they bought a road, and they moved it from one side of the Joseph Smith House to the other, <gasps> uh, so that the you know it, it wouldn't disrupt. So people no longer have to walk across the road to go to the Sacred right. Grove from the Joseph Smith right, right. Uh, House. Okay, so, so basically, you're saying where the Joseph Smith House and the, I've been there. The property was there was was the road sort of running along west then of the house sort of along the tree line and then they bought it and moved it it, so was, it was much closer to the house than the tree line yeah uh, there's a big field between the house and the the road or between the road yes and the sacred grove um, yeah 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 but yeah it, it it's it was interesting to see this n- sort of pattern develop the church has figured out that there are a lot of circumstances when it makes sense to just buy and move a road uh, and <laughs> I, you know, I, deal, I, I would, you know, I'm one of those people who kind of dumb. I look at a road and say, well, you know, it's got to work around the road. Uh, but yeah, when you have resources and, uh, you're a little bit creative, suddenly your uh, road isn't an obstacle anymore. You just, yeah, I'm trying. I'm so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the map right now trying to figure out how it must've been. It's an interesting place when you go to the, uh, little family farm and stuff yeah. and the sacred grove is just. From a satellite view, it just looks like a bunch of trees around all the other yeah, trees. Yeah. Go figure. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. All right. A couple of quick mentions. It's going to blow people's minds, but Provo is going to receive – this is Provo, Utah. Everyone, not to be confused <laughs> with Provo, Wisconsin. Provo, Utah will be receiving its first standalone Starbucks, ladies and gentlemen. This is a huge deal because Sin will be so close to BYU, literally across the street from BYU's property. When will it end? I don't know. Uh, this will be in the same shopping. This will basically be at University and Bulldog, the same plot that has uh, Costa Vida, I think, oh, okay. Fat Cats. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be right around there, and I guess they'll just sell a lot of hot chocolate or something or drag down the morality of BYU. Because remember, they started offering caffeinated soda last year on campus, and next thing you know, a Starbucks is showing up. What is next? A state-run liquor store across the street, too? <laughs> Where does it end, Devin? <laughs> you know, it's. I mean, what is shocking to me is that it has taken all these years to get a Starbucks in in Provo. Uh, <clears throat> it, uh, you know, some have suggested that this reflects in part a a softening of the tenacity with which Latter Day Saints, especially young Latter Day Saints, are observing the Word of Wisdom. Yeah, I think Jana Reese has done a lot yeah, of research yeah. on that in particular. Arguing, yeah, that. I, yeah. it's an interesting question. I think. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I don't have all the answers, but it's going to be curious to see how far down. Well, will Provo remain the stone cold sober winner of the Princeton Review Award? Yeah, I don't think there's any. <laughs> there's not much risk of losing that Come designation, on. is there? It's going to happen. Yeah. No. Devin, believe in something. Uh, uh, well, whatever. That's happening in Provo. Yeah. When I went to BYU, the only Starbucks was up in Orem. So it involved a bit of a fun trip to, uh, you know, exotic. Give yourself Orem, a everything. nice stale scone or something there. Um, you get, I heard. I always heard anecdotally that the that the Orem facility sold more hot chocolate than any other Starbucks. I never saw any data to back yeah. it up, but you'd hear this a lot. But it could have just been Mormon. Yes, lore. It, it, it 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 does have the uh, flavor of a faith promoting rumor, doesn't it? <laughs> I love faith promoting yeah. rumors. Aren't they yeah. exciting? Yeah. Um, I 
Speaking of Jana Reese, I uh, saw this great list she published uh, this week uh, on uh, 20 changes that the church has made that she says to appeal to millennials. Uh, I would probably say that appeal. I don't know that the church did it to so that it would appeal, but maybe they did. I, I like that qualifier. All right. <clears throat> but it's interesting. Okay. Uh, some of these are not very big deals, but uh, you think about two-hour church, and I got to think, holy cow, that there are about half a million more people going to church on Sunday now because of two-hour church than, Is that I don't true? know. I've got to think it's huge numbers. Oh. <laughs> huge numbers. I mean, two-hour church is like, that's the truest thing the church has done since Joseph Smith. I mean, that's that's a big deal. Yeah, except for the goofy teaching schedule and the way all that. Yeah, it is kind of goofy, but who cares? Uh, we don't have to go to church for two hours. Uh, As a quick side note, what is funny about that is I read that they were planning on the new curricula in general. That was sort of all developed for three-hour church. Right. So, so you can see how recent of a development two-hour church was. And President Nelson just said adapt it like we're going we're going to do the two hour yeah, thing yeah. um and that's kind of why we have this strange setup because when they first announced come follow me i was like wait what so there's still like a week of study every week but we only have class every yeah. two weeks then which lesson do we cover yes very and, and every ward in the church i think is str- struggling to figure out how you do that and so do you do cover a little bit in priesthood and relief society or not and <clears throat> oh how is your okay we're digressing i, I want to hear about the, the millennial yeah. stuff how has um, your priesthood quorum experience been under the new structure, lesson quality wise. Um, I was struck, struck this past Sunday by how good it was, and I'm sure that it was it, it, it was not deep and great, but for the first time, and I can't remember, we had a real discussion about something that was a little bit semi-doctrinal. It wasn't like we weren't talking about the- <laughs> Semi-doctrinal. The word for that is apocryphal. Well, but I mean, we weren't talking about the atonement. We were talking about uh, the noise in the chapel before sacrament meeting, right? Oh, okay. And there were a couple of people who were making the point that that's the best part of church, and we shouldn't be- so strident about trying to make it go away because it's that very activity of talking to one another and greeting one another that makes church work. And if we take that away, we ruin church. And there were others who were saying, but you know, mm. President or Elder Holland says we have to be more respectful right. and more yeah. reverent. And, yeah. and the discussion was stark, but so respectful. No one sort of made the argument that the other people were evil or dumb, and I thought it was it was really hopeful to me to see that uh, we had gotten to a place. And in fact, the the, the fellow who said the closing prayers, uh, thank you, that we could have a discussion and we could have different perspectives and still love one another and. And it was, it was the striking feature of the meeting that we actually had a real discussion about a church topic. Now, like I say, it wasn't deep doctrine. We weren't talking about how the atonement works and getting into it, but, but we had a, a discussion where there was disagreement and it was respectful and kind. And I thought that has come in part from the efforts we've made in the church broadly over the last couple of years to make church more conducive to an exploration and discovery rather than the rote repetition of Sunday school answers, which made, I think, most of us just gag on so many (laughs) of the lessons we've heard. Even the most faithful would say, I've heard that lesson a hundred times. Why make me hear it again? Right. So anyway, it was great. That's a really good insight, Devin. I'm glad that was positive for you. That's super <clears throat> interesting. Are you seeing I mean, that in your ward that, that at all? Ex- 
Uh, in different ways. I mean, now I've got a couple of tangents floating around in my head. Uh, that specific topic, though, we discussed in my ward council a number of weeks ago. Unfortunately, not in the same way. It was very much along the lines of, here's what Elder Holland said. How do we shut everybody up <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> before yeah. sacrament meeting? Um, and I admit, though, I didn't say much. I, I, As the executive secretary, I just kind of sit there in my chair and sort of take notes and observe it. I don't usually get much in the foray in ward mm-hmm. council. But um, I felt more like you did. I think we can be reverent, and that is important. A reverence matters. The spirit needs to be there. It's, it is the most important meeting that we're having, and I get all that. But I'm with you that the the conviviality of the whole thing, it says a lot about who we are as a people. Like I, I know we want to show teach people to be reverent and think about mm-hmm. the Lord, but I like it if I show up and someone wants to talk to me and be friendly. Yeah. We don't, don't have to be loud about it. We can be reverent about it. I mean, a good example— because um, our bishopric, I wondered this myself. I always thought, I'm like, I said, I wish our bishopric would kind of walk around and like say hi to people before sacrament meeting. But they deliberately don't do it so that they sit on the stand beforehand mm-hmm. and set an example of being there and getting prepared. Okay, that's fine. But in my personal experience, this is just the gospel for Jeff, I enjoyed it and probably my favorite word I've been in because the bishop would always walk around before the meeting and I loved how chill he was. He'd introduce himself to ever to visitors. He would never say hello. I'm Bishop. He would say hi. I'm Jeff. Mm-hmm. His name was Jeff too. Um, and that's one thing I always loved about him. I'm like, you are the bishop of this ward, and you do command respect, and we support you. But you don't have any pretense about yeah. the whole. You know, you're just hey, I'm Jeff. It's good to be here. So, as far as your broad the broader issue at hand, more robust discussions. It's a mix. I'm very glad you've had more positive elders quorum experiences. I think we had a very good one this past Sunday. Um, but since everything's based on conference talks yeah. nowadays, that's the official guidance. I've seen by and large, most people are just defo- literally almost every week I'm in there. Someone like pulls out his iPad and says, all right, well, let's watch the talk and then we can discuss it. And I, I know it's hard to kill that much time now that we have no opening exercises. You're given a 45 yeah. minute lesson, but um I, that leaves me yeah. wanting that approach. I just think we, like you said, the same rote stuff over and over again. So I'm glad yeah. we've had a really. That's it's it's hard to have positive discussions when disagreements are part of it. And if we can master that art, we can grow yeah. a lot as individuals, not just in the church, but I think in the way we associate with everyone and in, in such a yeah. polarized society now. Yeah, um, over the last decade, yeah, I know I've really shifted my mindset from being a a defender of truth to being a seeker of truth. Uh, And it really is a very different mindset I've come to appreciate. And it wasn't so much a conscious decision. Uh, And I can see value, uh, uh, you know, in both approaches. But uh, when you get a room full of people seeking truth, boy, that's, that's a great energy there. When half the room is is defending the truth, that's not a good energy. It just it just isn't right. You can't have a discussion about why polygamy if half the room feels like uh, even discussing that topic is an assault on Brigham Young or Joseph Smith. Um, and, and and I wish we could be more frank about that. As a people, I loved a couple of years ago. I I, I got I was able to teach gospel doctrine. What, what's what we called mm-hmm. it back then, kids? Um, and it was the year for doing doctrine and covenants in church history, which was super educational for me. I mean, I've read a lot of books and done this and that, but when when I was teaching all these mm-hmm. lessons every other week, and and I try to I try to follow the spirit of what the manual is getting at, but I have no qualms going outside of that and finding interesting sources about X, Y, and Z. Um, I did find we could have some very positive discussions, even about thorny topics. And like, I don't think we have to be afraid of that as Mormons to say, yeah, Joseph Smith was, I, was a polygamist. And a lot of this was evolving too in the wake of the, uh, you know, the gospel topics essays. Mm-hmm. Um, this is when they'd updated that manual a little bit that year. I remember one of the first lessons I taught was the competing versions of the first vision, yeah. for example. I mean, it's so easy for things like that to be things that trip up our testimonies. Uh, but instead of yeah. we talk about them openly as Latter-day Saints and recognize the faults of man at play in the restoration of the gospel, and that that doesn't mean the gospel is not true and the church is not true. Right, right. I, I think we can be yeah stronger. It is. So anyway, yeah. Jana Reese and the Millennials. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So, you know, the, the two hour church, I mean, you come down, that, that's huge. Nothing else is 10% as important, but, <laughs> but, you know, having the missionaries call home once a week, I think that's a big deal to missionaries. I agree. Uh, having sister missionaries wear pants a lot of the time. I think that's great. Um, and so, you know, that was on her list. Um, Oh, what else? You know, oh, the changes got... to the endowment to be more friendly to right. women, more respectful right. to women. And we're the, not supposed to talk about the, that, but that's on the list. And I think that was good. So, yeah, I think oh, the temple, the temple you know, wedding stuff. Now you can, there's no waiting period if you get married civilly. That's oh, a key yeah. one. I, I am so excited about that because, uh, it, you know, the old policy was so exclusive. And in fact, you know, we only observed that policy in the United States, outside the United States. It was, I think, nearly universal that people were doing it the new way for Well, they did it with um, some variations. And that was out of necessity because there's only like three countries where the temple temple wedding is recognized as a civil marriage, the U.S. and Canada Mm -hmm. being two of them. But elsewhere, there's usually a um, a certain window. So you get married civilly because that's what you have to do. And then you have, based on your proximity to a temple, you have a certain period of time. Uh, to go to the temple and be wedded. And if you did not do it in that time, though, the same old rules would kick into effect and you'd have to wait a year. So it does change that a little bit internationally, but I do think they're so accustomed to kind of doing it in that same way. I don't think it's not as much of an effect. I agree because especially for the actual wedding, they would have anybody who they wanted there for the, for the civil ceremony, which is now an option for people here in the United States who might have part member families or non-member, whatever it might be, uh, to include them in an actual legal wedding. And then they can still go to the temple and have that positive experience and not walk around like they should be shamed because clearly they're getting married civilly because they were fornicating or, you know, (laughs) you know how we are. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. So it'll be great to remove that. And, uh, to some extent, the the um, the other item on the list that's worth mentioning is the church rescinding the policy about uh, LGBTs oh. being apostates yes, and that was denying baptism to, and and blessings of babies to their children. Uh, I think that that policy was deeply offensive to many people, including especially young people who have just grown up in a day and age when, uh, yeah, some of their friends have two moms or two dads, yeah. and that's just totally cool. And saying otherwise is really, you know, fighting words. Uh, uh, yeah. So. so I could say a lot about that one too, but also props to Jana Reese. I think she just made this list because it's an entire list with links to other articles she's written. So this is some some sweet internal linking action she's taking on. Way to boost your SEO. And your page view, <laughs> Jana Reese. Smart move over there. Uh, that's a good list, though. People should go read it. S- yeah, speaking of it millennials, there's an article in the Deseret News this week, very fresh, that says why you shouldn't blame millennials for religious freedom's image crisis. Now, this is from Kelsey Dallas. I was not thinking that anyone was blaming millennials for religious freedom's image crisis. I also wasn't aware that the church via Deseret News was tacitly admitting that religious freedom has an image crisis. So this whole article has just been blowing my mind, right? The whole status quo is out the window. Um, I mean, did you feel that like millennials were being blamed for? No, that that made the thing uh, inside the hallowed halls of, you know, 50 East North Temple, but that is not a thing I was, uh, was feeling outside the building. Um, yeah, I, I do think they are right that religious freedom has an image problem because at least some of the time when people talk about religious freedom, they're talking, and I'm not sure it's true in the church, but outside the church, when conservatives talk about that, they're really oftentimes literally talking about not being obligated to make a cake for a gay wedding. <laughs> And, and I find yes. that to be so insensitive and absurd that, yeah, I think that's where that image problem comes from. Uh, but in that same vein, I think there are real questions. Yeah. Uh, you know, when is it appropriate to make a doctor perform an abortion? Um, yeah. uh, you know, that's probably in my mind the most 
legitimate uh, question in that vein, uh, right, of, of religious freedom. Uh, but we get mired in these nuances here in the United States when uh, in countries around the world, they have real religious oppression, right? Uh, you know, I'm with you 100% you know, on this. In, this is the bigger <clears throat> issue, yeah. And so we need to, I think we need to reframe and make sure that we don't get mired down in the in inane discussions about cake when there are people literally dying for their religion. I mean, let's take, you know, what's going on in Myanmar right now as we're recording this interview, uh, Muslims, Rohingya Muslims are dying uh, because of uh, an effort essentially to um, ethnically cleanse, ethnically basically. cleanse or yeah. to uh, yeah. uh, commit genocide to get rid yeah. of uh, Muslims, uh, these Rohingya Muslims from Myanmar. I mean, it's- Which is all the more sad in the case of Myanmar because we had hoped that their wonderful democratic reformer leader was. Oh, yeah, else. yeah. You know, Nobel Lots Peace Prize winning president yeah. is a, a party to, as far as anybody can tell, she's a party to this uh, ethnic cleansing, this genocide. Uh, and it's just uh, extraordinary. I, of course, have not visited, but I I did an episode of my show with uh, Holly Tree Richardson, who's a, a trib uh, reporter, columnist, who went to uh, Bangladesh to the big, uh, I think it's now the biggest refugee camp in the world, uh, three quarters of a million Rohingya Muslims there. And she went and visited. Uh, and, you know, it's it, it's just horrific, the stories they tell uh, and the numbers of people that have been killed. Yeah, it's, it really is a genocide going on right as we speak. It's religiously motivated, um, you know, so cake be darn. Yeah, or Christians, Christians being, you know, zeroed in on by ISIS. Like, I agree with you completely. There are many cases where religious freedom is not a reality, and we are spoiled in the United States uh, in that we have freedom to worship, and I will not listen to anyone for a second who thinks that the government is actually going to like go as far as you know outlawing Christianity. Yeah. You, I hear a lot of right. things, and I just say, no, no. I understand we're having debates about very particular things, and we're fortunate in our country that we have such well-established freedoms. Uh, that we can get into nitpicky stuff about religious yeah, Where do freedom. my rights I ab- guess that's- abut yours? Where do we draw the line between my rights and your rights? Yeah. Those are fair questions to ask. But- As a bit of an aside, the cake thing is kind of funny. Is we That one always gets thrown out there because not that I would encourage this, but if you did not want to uh, have to bake the cake for a, for a party or whatever, um, you could probably find ways to get out of doing out, doing it without just admitting it's because you don't want to serve a homosexual client. I mean, you could, you're a cake baker. There's no law that says you own your own business and anyone who wants uh, your services is privy to mm-hmm. them, period. All, you could say make up any number of excuses why you can't do something without having to get into the bigger issues. I don't encourage that. I think that's mean-spirited. But, I mean, the fact remains that we have all these rulings about things like whether or not you have to bake a cake when you could get out of providing that or taking pictures or what have you without even having to get anywhere close to admitting it's because you're uncomfortable with it being a gay couple. Um, And you'd be totally covered, which is silly. So as far as what's going on here with uh, the youth, so there's a simple, there's the religious freedom annual review, good old elder uh, Kieran from the uh, presidency of the 70 was there. And uh, the main issue here is they think that because basically millennials are uh, more irreligious that it makes them harder for them to understand religious freedom and the old folks trying to talk about religious freedom like we have just been saying are not doing a good enough job explaining it i admit i think this article is a bit peculiar with the way it presents its argument but um i mean i don't know who is blaming millennials but actually i do know who blames millennials they're called boomers and they blame millennials for everything <laughs> And even though they are the ones who are going to sap our our social safety net and bleed it dry. But um, yeah, so don't blame millennials for religious freedom making no sense, everyone. Blame the weird definitions we're using for religious freedom and just how poorly we've explained it in general. Yeah. There's my counsel to you. 
Well, it, I, I came across something. There's a story I've been following now for about six months, and I'm embarrassed that I didn't discover this as a journalist myself because uh, there is a Utah-based company called Washakie Renewable Resources that oh boy. Uh, has been doing uh, biodiesel for about a decade. And uh, it not only is it Utah-based, it's run by a polygamist family uh, that the, the Kingston family uh, that's part of the, the order. And it turns out that uh, they scammed the federal government out of half a billion dollars. Uh, Attaboy. Half a billion Taxation dollars. Taxation is theft. <clears throat> oh, my gosh. But they, they were uh, – the system was a little bit loosey-goosey. So there's some blame to be levied at the federal government for having a loosey-goosey system, but it was relatively easy to apply for and receive credits for creating Hmm. biofuels, whether or not you actually created them. And their scam, the Washakie Renewable Resources scam, was apparently better than most. And they were able to to take... uh, half a billion dollars. And what, what, a you know, I'm not sure I, I don't understand all the details, but part of it involves literally just shipping the same renewable fuel around and around and around and around over and over again. Um, so, uh, really interesting. You know, I cover, um, uh, you know, these sorts of things, uh, usually in very flattering terms on Forbes, <laughs> uh, talking about, not scams, but renewable energy companies and right, solar right. and wind and biofuels. I'd love all that stuff. And here's this Utah company I've sort of been paying attention to for the past decade. And a lot of people will remember they sponsored the Utah Jazz and they sponsored movies at the Megaplex here. So it's a, a fairly well-known brand here in Utah, but they weren't actually, you know, I don't know that they ever produced any real biofuels not much if they did so anyway very so do you think this let's do a chicken and egg thing is this because they are polygamists or are they polygamists because of their false business (laughs) is there a correlation or causation to be had here there is a correlation between their being polygamists who resent the intrusion of the government and okay, so they are cl- right. They they had so Clive and Bu- it's Clive and Bundy, the polygamist version. Yeah, it's kind of that, right? They yeah. they, they feel like uh, if they can scam the federal government, they should, and so or even the state government. They you know they were among those who began the the infamous practice of sending uh, the plural wives to get and apply for and receive welfare benefits. Uh, oh, from the state, uh, because they weren't officially married on on any public records. So, right, yeah. How could they be? So, anyway, well, that's fascinating. Okay, well, we're in our waning minutes here, folks. It's been a great time. Uh, so, third hour, which was formerly known as the Mormon Hub, and I don't recall if they started going by third hour once we lost our third hour of church, or if they unfortunately timed what they were doing. <laughs> And it coincided. I don't remember. Anyway, apparently uh, Pope Francis of the Catholic faith has changed the Lord's Prayer, and it parallels Joseph Smith's translation of the Lord's Prayer. Okay, so um, the original one, if you know the whole thing, but near the end of it, it says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You can see the issue there, and this is very similar to a lot of what Joseph Smith revised in the Bible the implication that God would lead us into temptation in the first place, right? So Pope Francis updated this to say, do not let us fall into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay, that's more direct. I think that makes sense. That's a big change for Catholics. I mean, mm-hmm. if they've been reciting their Lord's Prayer for all these years, that's a, that's a change. Uh, so the Joseph Smith translation says, and suffer us not to be led into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So, yeah, I mean, they're similar, 
I'm, I'm trying to decide whether they're reaching in this article. Well, I don't think they meant to suggest, but, and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think he meant to suggest that Catholics copied Joseph Smith. I think they simply I, meant to suggest that uh, they came to the same conclusion. I guess so. I guess so. Though what I do see here is here's a benefit of modernity, I guess. The Catholic revision to it is very straightforward. Do not let us fall into temptation. Boom. Yeah. Straight up. Joseph Smith's version of it, let's be frank, everyone, it's a little bit wordy. Yeah. Okay, it gets the same point across. And suffer us not to be led into temptation. That's a bit I, I'm pretty sure if Joseph Smith had access to something like Grammarly, <laughs> this not, would not have happened. Yeah. Yeah, it's strange that the Urim and Thummim didn't come equipped with Grammarly. That is, I mean, did, why didn't they say, hey, let's flag this, buddy. A few too many words. We could be more succinct yeah. in how yeah. we get this point check, across. Check. It's just a yeah. thought. Anyway, I mean, this is cool. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if we're claiming, you know, the Catholics are coming home. You found the truth. But uh, yeah, it's, it, it is interesting. interesting observation. It is interesting. Yeah. Uh, I have never thought of Catholics having the courage to change the text of the Bible to conform to their doctrine. You know, we've done that. I can't think of it. You know, we did all, the yeah. Joseph Smith translate. I say we, Joseph did the, what, what you, we call the inspired I, I version, you know, back in the 1830s, but it's, uh, and forties, but, uh, yeah, pretty bold for, uh, the Catholics to. It's a big deal. Yeah. For them. I, I don't know when the last time was, if ever, that something like this happened. Uh, if any of our Catholic listeners, there are some, have any insights, let us know. I don't know these things. Well, yeah, we can talk quickly. You know, the uh, other side of heaven, too, uh, is uh, opens this weekend. Yeah, this weekend, yeah. Yeah, this weekend opens. Yeah. And uh, it was screened. <clears throat> I had no idea what the plot was about, but apparently the plot is about the Catholics, the Mormons, and the Methodists coming together during. Uh, a real crisis and how it was really the Catholics and the Methodists that saved the Mormon missionaries. Uh, and I, I, you know, I forgot to say spoiler alert, uh, but this is in this article. Uh, it's, it's in the memoirs upon which it is based. So, so okay. So, uh, I, I ruined the movie for the six people who are going to see it. Uh, <clears throat> but, <gasps> no, everyone has to see it because if it has a good opening weekend, it's going national. It'll play true. longer. Not that I have high hopes for it, but it's cool they got like the whole original cast minus Anne Hathaway to come along. That is along cool. That is cool. I wish they had gotten Anne Hathaway. It was interesting. They got her the first time, as I understand it, because they shot this before she shot the princess movie that she was yeah. in. Yeah. It was, it was around the same time. She, she was a big deal when The Other Side of Heaven came out, but uh, she was not when she took the job. Yeah, it's true. She wasn't, and she was such a big enough deal even by the time that happened is when it came out on home video. So uh, Disney, if you buy it today on home video, you'll see it says Disney. Disney didn't release it originally in theaters, but Disney did pick up the domestic distribution rights for home video. So it's branded as a Disney production, and they did that specifically to capitalize on her popularity from the Princess yeah. Diaries. Like she's featured heavily on all the artwork, much more so than than the theatrical poster was, even though she's not in the movie a ton, yeah. really. But yeah. uh, anyway, it turns out she wins an Oscar and doesn't want to do this kind of thing anymore. So she, yeah, uh, I can't believe she doesn't want to do low budget Mormon movies. So tell me more. So so they're uh, so anyway. The the, so the article here was about the kind of ecumenical reception that this story has received and. And, you know, faith leaders, Catholics, Methodists, and Mormons getting together to talk about, uh, you know, a more cooperative, collaborative, respectful uh, forward movement. And I think that's great. Uh, you know, it is silly for us to ever talk badly about other people of faith, of any, any faith. So I think it's, you know, good, good news. I'm glad. I hope, and I hope it's reflected well. You know, I hope they don't pull an Argo and uh, just completely ignore. And and the true story of Argo, the Canadians did a ton of work to get the people out of Iran. And I don't know why that popped in my head. Anyway, just don't do an Argo and pretend they had all the strife and the Methodists and Catholics did nothing and it was all the Mormons who saved the day. Like the movie Argo says, the Americans found their way out of their own problems. Anyway, um, 
I'm, I want to see it. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. You talked earlier in the episode, actually, how you were reduced to tears from seeing Toy Story yes. 3 because your, <laughs> your kid went, because your kid went on it because went um, you, just said, yep. you just said goodbye to your son. I watched the other side of heaven. The first one right near the end of my mission, I was going home in like two weeks and we had a Christmas party, like the Southern half of our mission in Spain, got together for a big Christmas party. It was fun. And so they watched an appropriate movie and we watched that. And of course, near the end of it, after he spent three years on the island with these people and he's saying goodbye to them and stuff, I was sitting there and there was a handful of us from my group who'd be going home at the end of that transfer. And yeah, I was wrecked pretty hard then too. You want to talk about a movie that hits close to home. That is That one wrecked me pretty bad. The other one that wrecked me pretty bad was Inside Out a couple weeks ago because that that, anyway, I could go off on. Inside Out is Pixar's best film. Argue with me in the comments, everybody, but it is. Inside Out is their best movie. It is a great movie. Anywho, we've run long, so it's time to call it short. Devin Thorpe, please visit him on his various web properties. Uh, Do you want to plug any addresses or things people Um, should find? You could go to devinthorpe.com and find me there and everything from there. Boom. Find Devin there. So very nice of him to take the time to be with us. You can find us on social media. Please follow our Facebook page, which is just facebook.com slash This Week in Mormons. Please write a review on iTunes if you never have. We would really appreciate that. That does wonderful things for our our rankings and all that kind of good stuff. Even if your review is mean, I'll take it. It's fine. Um, and of course, subscribe if you have not done so. And send us an email at contact at thisweekinmormons.com. And a special shout-out goes to our patrons from Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, who donate any realm of of money per month, $1, $2, whatever they want, to help us pay for our various fees. And I cannot tell you how much we appreciate that. That's very generous of you. So if you want to join the team, please do that. It's not tax-deductible. I can't give you anything cool for it. But it'll make you feel really good inside that you make my life easier and that I can feed my children. So there you go. Okay. No one's laughing. (laughs) Devin. (laughs) Thanks for being here, Devin. I appreciate it. It's an honor to be with you. Thanks for having me. It's great. All right, pal. Everyone have a great week. Another episode of This Week in Mormons is in the can.